Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. A couple of years ago, I was actually in Oklahoma, uh, two guys in an alley. You know, they just jumped out, gave me this for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> and then actually ended up saving my life. It was quite a coincidence. Uh, Dr. Keith Smith is the co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, also known as the refugee camp for those fleeing the Canadian healthcare system, such as me. Uh, of course, in Oklahoma, owned by 40 of the top physicians and surgeons in central Oklahoma, Dr. Smith serves as the medical director, CEO, and managing partner while maintaining an active anesthesia practice. I assume that you're also a consultant for Ben Carson speeches uh, as, as that skill set. Uh, we've chatted before. How are you doing, Dr. Smith? What's new? I'm great. It's great to be with you again. So the statement, I think, that, that got the most shock uh, in, in the last time we talked, which I'd like to open with again, because, you know, we've got, I don't know, 150,000 new subscribers since we last chatted, was the statement that you've made that uh, goes something like this. And I'm paraphrasing. Healthcare is not actually that expensive. And that is something that really people find quite shocking, of course, with all of the Obamacare stuff and the, seeing the constant escalation of their um, premiums. What are you talking about? Healthcare is not that expensive. Don't you see the bills people get? Well, there's a, a vast difference between what people are charged and what it actually costs to deliver care to patients. And there's even a more vast difference between the idea that uh, people that have coverage think that they actually have access to health care, as you very well know. Um, so the, the amounts that you see on our website are actually the amounts that we believe it costs to actually take care of patients. And not built into that are the all the empire building charges that the typical corporate institutions uh, stick into people's uh, people's bills to sponsor sports franchises or or you know been build on endlessly to their huge fortress. Uh, we're not trying to build an empire. We're not going to even franchise. We we would like other people to copy us with a very simple notion that they should be honest in their pricing and put forth pricing, not put patients in a very awkward and impossible situation of trying to discover it. Uh, and then start some market competition, and and then everything that happens in healthcare will look like other industries that uh, operate under an unfettered market. Right. So when people get a bill, they go to the hospital and they get a bill, they think that that bill is – really just amount to their health care and everything else is, you know, cut to the bare bones in order to provide as cheap a service as possible. What are some of the costs that people don't see that are baked into that bill over and above the sort of health care services that are being provided? Well, here at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, for instance, we don't have an administrator. So you go to a you go to a large health system and there will be there will be dozens of people, all of whom make a whole lot more money than I'll ever make, and I'm not really sure what they do. Uh, I know that they do not actually lay hands on or take care of patients. I know that for sure. So here at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, we do not have uh, an advertising budget. You go drive down any road and you'll see billboards uh, advertising health plans or health insurance companies or you turn on the television and you'll see very expensive ads where uh, so-called not-for-profit hospitals are are advertising, you know, how great they are and how they provide all this charitable care for the poor. And it really is just a bunch of propaganda and lies. Um, 
I've joked that it's interesting that the not-for-profit hospitals have to charge 10 times what we do to not make a profit. And that is, I think, a, a comment on their <laughs> on their inefficiency uh, if, and maybe worse. And so costs of overhead with government regulations, also I think for hospitals, the costs are, that have to be passed along to others for things like the mandate to treat people in emergencies even if they can't pay uh, and other things like that. I'm just wondering if... Um, you um, uh, you have any thoughts about the degree to which that adds to overhead? Yeah, keep in mind that uh, the hospitals have very effectively used uh, the excuse that they have to comply with all of these regulations as as just that an excuse to over uh, overcharge and to price gouge people, and they hide behind that veil and do that all the time. The other thing to keep in mind about the dysfunctional uh, healthcare system in the United States, which really operates like um, like the meanest Mexican drug cartel you can imagine, they are actually big hospitals are actually paid to the extent that they claim that they lost money. There's a program called the Uncompensated Care System that operates the op- like the opposite of Enron, where Enron overstated their gains in order to make more money. The hospitals actually make more money to the extent that they claim that they lost money because these losses that they claim, uh, like the $95 they don't collect for the $100 they charge for an aspirin, that loss goes to Washington, D.C. and forms the basis of the kickback they subsequently receive. So there, there's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of lies. There are a lot of excuses, all of which serve the interests and Line the pockets of these corporate hospitals, and and it's cronyism. I mean, it's what it is. They've they've worked very hard and paid a lot of money to to gain these favors, and while the legislators auction off what few liberties we have left to these guys. And there is a general misconception, I think, about healthcare in the United States that it is driven by a lot of free market principles, and this is what the free market does to healthcare. And of course, you guys, since you put your prices right there on the website and operate a fairly lean organization, I think you're an example of being closer to the marketplace. But to what degree would you say the healthcare system in the United States is dominated by laissez-faire free market principles? I would say it's uh, if you include plastic surgery and LASIK surgery and this growing free market movement, I would say it's somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the industry um, it is growing very, very rapidly. Uh, there are people that have seen the wisdom of embracing market discipline like we have, and they are and I'm actually helping them to copy us. Then there are people who uh, who see this free market movement as very scary, and they're joining up, kicking and screaming, but they're joining nonetheless. Uh, you know the market has a way of doing that. You know, fear. Fear really will drive people oftentimes uh, to do the same thing, particularly when the alternative is bankruptcy. <laughs> yes, nothing nothing stimulates uh, one's, one's concentration like the prospect of an imminent hanging, as the saying goes. Now, 
with with LASIK, and I actually had a, a, a Canadian on here named named Bill Gardner, who um, is another free market advocate, who pointed out that he could get far better care for his dog because uh, it's not socialized healthcare in the veterinary industry. He could get a, like a scan for his dog the next day, where he'd have to wait months in the Canadian system. When it comes to areas like LASIK and plastic surgery, what are the kind of innovations and price drops that you see where they're most governed by free market principles? Well, uh, what's happened since we put our prices online is patients all over the United States are printing out our price list and walking into their local hospital telling them to step up or I'm flying to Oklahoma City. Now, we've now treated patients from all 50 states except Hawaii, many Canadians, as you know. So there is a there is a very competitive price movement that has begun in the United States. There are there are companies uh, in the United States, large companies that have rejected the entire idea of buying health insurance for their employees and rather have taken risk on themselves um, and walked into the space that typically is referred to as self-insurance or self-funding. These companies pay their employees health care bills out of operating revenue rather than subscribing to the insurance scam. So you can imagine those companies have the sticker shock of these ridiculous bills, and they they are signing up with us on a regular basis and willing to fly patients, pay all of their travel and lodging expenses, and even pay them uh, per diem for incidentals to get them to come to our facility to spare them one of these bankrupting experiences in their local so-called not-for-profit hospital. So this is a very this is a growing movement. It's very threatening to the status quo. Uh, the cartel um, is either acting like this is not happening, or worse, they're actually donning the badge of transparency when they're anything but. And I I figured this would happen. There'd be faux transparency, faux free marketers who who say, yeah, we post our prices, but ultimately there are many asterisks and things that are not included. Right. Uh, bedpan and <laughs> sheets are extra. <laughs> now, when you refer to insurance as a scam, again, the majority of the world perceives America to be this laissez-faire Wild West free market paradise for healthcare, and then look at the disastrous and say, well, that's what happens when you liberate the economy in healthcare. When you refer to insurance as a scam, I mean, in a free market, it's not. It's a choice. You can roll your dice or not. Why do you call it a scam? Well, true insurance, like you buy for your car or your home, is not a scam. You have a claim, and you file the claim, and they pay the claim. But you do not buy insurance uh, for an oil change, and you do not buy insurance for uh, new light bulbs in your house. But that is how we've been conditioned to think of insurance in the health industry. There's a reason for this, and it's because there are a lot of people who line their pockets because it's set up that way. Many years ago, uh, major medical insurance policies were truly good insurance policies, and you could buy you could buy an insurance policy that covered health and medical uncertainty. That's the purpose of insurance, after all. What we do now is we prepay for health care. And because a third-party intermediary is involved, the prices are driven very, very high. The patients many times do not have the sticker shock, so they don't care what it costs. That's actually changing, and, and the good news is the government never gets anything right. You know, they here in the United States, they, they have prohibited entrepreneurs from issuing insurance policies that people actually want. 
anybody in the insurance industry has to promote a product and a service that really nobody wants, but then they're forced to buy. So insurance really is a scam. But the good news is, in an effort to severely line the pockets of the cronies, the current administration drove deductibles up so high, they inadvertently, very unintentionally created a consumer market where so much money was coming out of patients' pockets that they were actually shopping and they're comparison shopping. And they're finding facilities like mine where the entire expense for a surgery is less than their deductible under one of these new silly plans. So there's fortunately, you know, the good news is the government just screws everything up that they ever get involved with. And, and they're actually assisting us uh, in this movement. People ask me, am I scared the government will come shut us down? And I say, no, I lay at wake at night, at night, afraid that someone from the government will come here to help me because that <laughs> would be the kiss of death. <laughs> right. So, so they've made these deductibles and I've heard like 5,000 dollar deductibles maybe they're even higher than that but five thousand dollar deductibles so i think some people are basically saying when it comes to obamacare uh, i'm going to pay the fine for not having insurance uh, i'm because the deductible is so much greater than the fine and if something should happen then i can go to a place like the oklahoma surgery center and get something done cash out of pocket and i'm going to pay for surgery probably less than i'm going to pay in a year or two of insurance premiums that fundamentally remain unusable for me because the deduction is so high. So this rational calculation, it's in a sense driving more people because Obamacare, of course, I would argue is sort of in response to two things. Number one is that young people who are mathematically literate were doing the math and saying, well, wait a minute, why am I paying for all of this healthcare for stuff I'm never going to use that's largely right. for older people and so on. So the young, healthy people who are essential, you, you can't have an insurance company where only the sick people apply. That's having a, that's like having insurance for um, car crashes that only kicks in. You can, you can get it only after you've had a car crash as it wouldn't work at all. So I think young people were opting out and they kind of needed to be herded back in. And also, uh, I've heard some arguments that say the number of illegal immigrants, you know, 10, 20, 30 million or whatever, who are piling into the emergency wards um, when they get uh, desperate is also driving up the cost of healthcare. So I think people were kind of roped back into healthcare to prop up a system of cross-subsidization, usually from the young to the old, from the healthy to the sick, and from the legal to the uh, illegal. I don't know. That's just sort of my thought. I wonder if you had a bigger picture view of that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And judging by the number of young uh, and even, I mean, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, judging by the number of people who come to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and leave their Obamacare card in the car and come inside with a cashier's check for $3,740 to pay for their knee arthroscopy, uh, that is a very rapidly growing uh, portion of our business. And uh, judging by the number of people that we see, I think you're right. I think that this has turned out to be a very good gamble uh, for for people to not pay for these ridiculous insurance uh, policies that, that have been mandated. You know, what, they, what they say, I know you've seen this, the government is that institution whose ideas are so great they have to be mandatory. And I think these insurance policies have gotten to be so hor- horrible and not seen as the value that in the marketplace, there were enough people that were just simply choosing to be uninsured. That was probably a big part about uh, of why the United States decided to inflict the unaffordable 
Affordable Care Act on people was to make sure that that we were required uh, to buy these policies that otherwise, left alone and to our own devices, we would never buy on our own. So maybe you can help me unravel a central paradox that I always have trouble with when looking not just at American healthcare, but healthcare around the world. And it seems to me something like this. Healthcare is increasingly expensive, out of reach, people are going bankrupt and so on. But at the same time, it seems that people are, let's let's just talk about Americans. Americans seem to be taking less good care of their health, even at a time when they're increasingly complaining about healthcare costs. So for instance, you know, obesity, of course, is a huge problem in the United States at the same time that people are complaining that healthcare costs are so high. I wonder if you can help me unravel this paradox of people complaining about something and then doing everything they can to drive up their own costs of consumption with bad health choices. Yeah, and I think um, I think about Ambrose Bierce and his Devil's Dictionary. He defined accountability as the mother of God. And I think that there is a, a general amount of unaccountability that probably explains some of what you've described. The other problem in the United States and really all over the world is really a almost like a conspiracy to keep people unhealthy and to keep them fat. I mean, the, the foods that are that are terrible for people are cheap and re- readily available. So, as the economy uh, continues to take hits from the great usurper of choice, the government, and 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 people's opportunities become more limited, as does their income then it becomes more difficult for them to actually eat well and make better choices. And and after all, this huge safety net is perceived as underneath everyone. I think that as the incredible stories about lack of access, uh, particularly to quality care, begin to materialize, you'll see some turnaround of what you've described, where people will realize, you know, I've got to take care of myself because nobody else is going to do it. And you know, if I get into trouble because of my lifestyle, I may just be left holding the bag. So I think that we may see a less sedentary turnaround, uh, very paradoxically, from the government getting involved in an industry where they really don't have any business at all in, in health care. So I, I, I hope that answers your question. That's how I see that. Yeah, I mean, some bad luck with me, it was bad luck. But of course, a lot of people, 70%, uh, as the estimate that I've heard of healthcare issues are, I don't know, it's euphemistically called lifestyle related, uh, which is basically, you know, people making bad choices, and other people in their life not intervening to to talk them out of those bad choices. Uh, And I think there is this general sense that, you know, doctors are magicians, and whatever you do, to your body, they can come in and fix with some magic. But um, uh, there's a lot that people can do to take healthcare costs um, in their life and get them under control. A lot of those have to do with better choices, but it just seems weird. You know, you look back at at, uh, movies from like the 1940s and 1950s and everybody looks so skinny, you know, and you head down (laughs) to a beach at Disney World and (laughs) you wonder how many mammals have washed up on the shore. So it seems like there's this paradox that um, people are more afraid of healthcare costs but are making worse decisions and thus exposing themselves to more. And there's only so much 
that the healthcare system can provide. You know, if people are, they get diabetes, they're directly taking away healthcare from other people because doctors can't treat two people at the same time. And it is an act, to some degree, I would argue, of, of general or collectivist irresponsibility to make these bad choices, which then drive up costs for everyone. And that's that's the tragedy of the commons, really. And that's one of the nice things, I think, about the resurgence of the free market in healthcare is that it promotes individual responsibility and, and individual accountability. And so I, I think there's a very, very good chance that we will see a turnaround in this trend. I'm actually very optimistic. Um, as powerful as these legislators think their pens are, they're not nearly as powerful as as the forces of the market. And and I in the United States there really is a growing movement of people that are embracing market discipline and the individual responsibility that goes along with it. Another thing I think that is um, a bit of a free rider that the socialist healthcare systems have is the amount of research that goes on in the United States uh, is seems to me quite staggering. I was going through this list of medical innovations that have come out of America and um, the remnants of the free market system do seem to be kicking up a huge amount of innovation that is not being matched, as you would imagine, by these socialist uh, systems. Is that sort of your experience? Do you see a lot of I mean, you go to conferences and so on and uh, you have to keep up your education? Do you see still a lot of innovations? Is the pace slowing or increasing or staying about the same? I think it's staying about the same. I would caution anyone that is uh, bemoaning the United States' uh, disproportionate contribution to research to consider that the editors of the New England Journal of Medicine and the editor of uh, the uh, medical journal Lancet both resigned and discussed uh, because they claimed at least 70% of the articles that were in their journals were trash and were completely biased toward the folks in whatever corporate healthcare industry that funded this research. The, the government funds a lot of research, and, and as you can imagine, the, the results of many of these studies are consistent with receiving the next grant or consistent with the views of whoever in government uh, was agreeable to funding these studies. So a lot of the research that goes on that's not directly uh, linked to innovation is, is very frankly not very good. There is some that is. I don't want to broad stroke it too much, but there's a lot. Um, and that's just not me. That's New England Journal and Lancet saying that. The innovation is stifled uh, by the government itself. I mean, the Food and Drug Administration is is just a complete uh, disaster and, and exists to protect uh, the existing players in the industry and to really hamstring true innovators and upstarts and underdogs to make their cost of entering the market so prohibitively high that the big dogs can buy them or take them over or stomp them out. So. The FDA really works as the strong man um, in healthcare innovation in the United States. And we'd see a lot more of it if the government would just get out of the way. And, and that's no different than any other industry I know, but it's certainly true in healthcare as much as people would like to say that it's not. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dr. Mary Ruart, who's. Um been on this show has talked about the degree to which the FDA, by keeping life-saving drugs that are legal in other 
countries and continents uh, out of the hands of American, uh, America is responsible for the deaths of millions of Americans who can't get access to medications that are perfectly safe, acceptable and used in other countries. But of course, competing treatments uh, are using or the FBA keeps uh, competing treatments out. I, I wonder to some degree whether there's industry influence over the FDA to keep competition out. Oh, but- yeah. And they also approve killer drugs. They also give the green light and stamp of approval to drugs that are killers and then cover up the fact that they knew that. So I don't, there's no doubt in my mind the FDA acts as a strong man for the existing crony players uh, to keep the upstarts from effectively competing with them. Right. Now, for those who are coming from socialist-style healthcare systems, uh, I just wanted to mention what an astounding experience it was to to work with you and your team on my my health issue. Because um, I, I grew up in England, oh Lord, I mean, it, just about everything was socialized there in healthcare, including dentistry. Thus, of course, British people are famous for their lovely teeth. But um, uh, it was an incredible experience. You know, I would almost suggest to people in socialist healthcare countries. You know, go run into a wall and then fly to Oklahoma. Uh, just just once in your life, you, you need to experience free market medicine. I mean, let, let me give you a quick example of what it's like to be uh, trying to get healthcare in Canada. Okay, so uh, I'm on a conveyor belt, see, and the doctor has about 18 seconds. He's like, hey, doc, I've already got this problem. I wonder if you can ah! <laughs> because they're, they're just going through the whole time. They're just shooting you out like a cannon. Yeah, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. So keeping people's attention, you know, your, your team sat down with me. We went through everything that was going to happen. Um, I actually, the shunt was removed. So a doctor came to me. Like, this is amazing. You know, this is like literally uh, expecting a doctor to come to you is like expecting to climb Mount Everest by having the mountain rise up underneath you. The doctor to come to you uh, and, and help you, like, took out the shunts uh, after the surgery and so on. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience. And it was really nice, of course. I mean, the relationships were great. It was fantastic to feel like I wasn't begging, you know, because in the healthcare system, you're like, well, I can't upset anyone because then they can just shove me to the back of the line or just not pick up the phone or whatever. Right. Um, to have actually weight in an economic interaction is so refreshing. And uh, when I think about the amount of taxes I've paid for the healthcare system, which I then had to flee, uh, it is a really shocking uh, experience and uh, incredibly powerful, you know, when my sort of ideology matches life circumstances so powerfully. Uh, it is an amazing thing. Do you talk to other doctors about like the ones who are currently in, I guess, more government focused or government centric or Medicaid or Medicare focused practices? Do they seem to have the same kind of relationship with patients that you have? Because it seems that would kind of decay away uh, to a quasi Canadian experience. Yeah, unless unless a physician rejects um, almost all of the mainstream thinking in healthcare, even here in the United States, they're not going to be able to operate or practice the way that we do. The way that we're set up is is very simple. Um, our livelihood depends on success stories like the one you just told. If patients are not satisfied with us, then they move on, and we all are broke. So there is total accountability, and we've embraced that because we know that competition makes us all better, and it tends to drive prices lower and create even more efficiencies and opportunities. That's a very scary uh, prospect for somebody who is involved in a cartel uh, system, basically where, where competitors are locked out. But our our ability to spend time with and directly relate to and communicate with patients and 
and really judge their satisfaction from that interchange is is unparalleled and is a direct result, I believe, of rejecting many of the tenets of of American healthcare. And, and what we what we have in the United States is not a failure, really, of the free market. It's an absence of the free market. And what you experienced is a very different brand where where the all the players involved all know that your satisfaction is key and and that and the results are predictable. I mean any other business that you know the Department of Motor Vehicles doesn't rely on your satisfaction. And so that that's really not one of their priorities. That's not the top of their list. They know you have no alternatives. You're coming back. And we we do not operate in that way at all. There was a, a moment, I don't think I've ever told this to, to the listeners, but um, for those who don't know the history very briefly, I had a, a lump developed uh, on um, a salivary gland. And the, the doctors up here basically said, oh, it's nothing, you know, it's, you know we'll, we'll, we'll remove it at some point and so on. And uh, they took a biopsy, it was fine. But uh, anyway, so uh, the doctor I talked to said, well, you know, we'll open up your whole jaw line here to get at the salivary gland and remove it. And of course, you guys did a great little thing down here, where as I get an increasingly old guy turkey neck it's gonna it's gonna be buried <laughs> in there and so uh, and then they said oh by the way it'll be months until you can get this lump removed although it's you know it's benign or whatever right and it was you know getting fairly goiter-ish right so um so i thought okay well i'll go down and get this benign thing removed i do public speaking and i didn't want people to say what what's growing out of your head that we need to know about <laughs> and um so what was interesting was as I was going to be wheeled into the operating theater, into the operating room, uh, my cell phone rang. And it was my doctor's office or the doctor's office in Canada. And they said, oh, listen, something's opened up in two days. Now, I could have, and you guys were fine. You said, if you want to go back, you can go back. So I had free surgery in Canada. First of all, my first thought is, hmm, I wonder why his surgery opened up. <laughs> you know, that's usually not, maybe someone died who was under his care or whatever. But even though I had the alternative to get right back on a plane and get free surgery in Canada, I got to tell you, no doubt in my mind, because basically they were setting off a cherry bomb on the side of my head and going to pick up the remnants. And you guys went in, I don't know, with what kind of weird, bizarre spider leg surgery technique that you use. But even when I had the choice uh, of imminent surgery that was going to pay, it was going to pay for or free surgery back in Canada, I just basically hung up and said, nope taken care of. Thank you very much. And, and I think that's a really powerful thing for people to understand that there's nothing cheap, there's nothing more expensive than free, particularly when it comes to your health. That's a story without a question. So I just wanted to mention that for and my I, listeners. I remember that very clearly. If you remember, I was the one that wheeled you back to the operating room. And I remember when your phone rang. And I remember that very cl clearly. We had a brief laugh about that before you drifted off to sleep. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, you know P.J. O'Rourke, the the quasi libertarian com uh, comedian, said if you think healthcare is expensive now, wait until it's free. And I right. I think that's a great way to to sum up what happens when when you ultimately just throw caution and accountability to the wind in healthcare. Yeah, and I mean I've been um, perfectly cancer free since you guys operated. I still go in for my blood work and so on. So I also wonder the degree to which the doctor in Canada might have actually got it all. And of course, you guys did, which was uh, you know a, literally a life or death decision. Oh well, it cost me a little bit of money. Yeah, well you know it still cost me less than a funeral, and uh, that's pretty significant. Now, 
I just wanted to mention one or two other things, ask you a question about sort of what people can do. So one of the things that as a free market guy, you sort of, oh, these prices are outrageous, right? A lot of people have to pay for these, as you say, $100 ashes and so on. So most people would say, okay, well, what we should do is we should just let's go up and open a hospital and stop providing this this stuff for free. Now, one of the kind of regulatory hurdles, I remember reading something about a certificate of need or something like, one of the hurdles that are stopping people from just going in and undercutting these outrageous prices? Well, in the United States, there are uh, several states that have these certificate of need laws. And, and what it basically says is if I want to go start a hospital, I have to go before a board and demonstrate that the community actually needs this hospital that I am willing and able to fund on my own. And the members of the board invariably are the are the big hospital administrators for the existing players in the marketplace with whom this new hospital would compete. So there is just no there's just no passing these certificate of need barriers. Those laws are coming under more scrutiny and review in the United States because it's just so obviously unveiled and anti-competitive. And I think that that those those laws will actually begin to break down, and we're starting to see that. The other barriers, um, one is in the uh, Unavailable Care Act, where the government basically said there can be no government payments to any hospitals that are owned by doctors. So that prohibited the construction of hospitals that have any uh, portion of physician ownership attached to those facilities. Surgery Center of Oklahoma, you know, we're completely owned by the doctors who operate and work here. So that was a that was a gift from Washington to the American Hospital Association to gain their support of the Unavailable Care Act. So what's happening now, though, is there are physicians who are building hospitals. And they're saying, well, we just won't take any government patients and we won't take any government money. But that obviously provides an access issue for a lot of people. Um, There are lots of regulatory uh, barriers, the certificate of need laws and the anti-competitive stance against physician-owned facilities um, are obviously two. One of the other things that's happening is the giant hospitals are – have they been on a buying spree – of uh, primary care doctors' practices. One of their favorite things to do is to walk into a small town and buy all of the practices there, and then that starves off all referrals to the local hospital, which they can then pick up very cheaply. That local hospital then just serves as the entry point to the conveyor belt to the mothership. And that, that's been a strategy by these big so-called not-for-profit hospitals that charge so much money. And, and they have enough money to go out and, and really engage in these hostile takeovers. So if you are wanting to start a hospital in an area, you know, you're, you're going to have to have some source of referrals. You're going to have to have physicians who are willing to come there or send their patients there. But you're constantly looking over your shoulder waiting for the Leviathan Hospital, you know, to come in and basically buy any and everyone that you're associated with, and it just completely shuts off the water supply, patient supply to a facility. So, right. so cronyism's alive and well. 
and healthcare and you know, the people. You know, the other thing I caution people: it's really easy to take your eye off the ball and blame these cronies, blame these big insurance companies and these big hospitals. But all they've done, after all, is purchase these favors and purchase these advantages from the real goons in the equation. People really should not take their eye off the ball, but it's the state, it's the government in D.C. that has auctioned off all of these favors. And that's really where we need to focus, because whenever something's wrong, the average guy says, well, we need to appeal to government to solve this when government caused it in the first place. And and invariably, they they use our own welfare as as their alibi for completely taking over our lives. So I I've been harping on that recently. That you know, as as greedy as some folks are, and by greed I mean actually actually taking what is not their due by actively in, entering into exchanges that are not mutually beneficial and being perfectly okay with that. The real culprit is is the state, and it's the government. So when people are at their dinner parties or wherever they're hanging out with their friends, and this sort of topic comes up of, um, you know, we need to have socialized health care, we need, you know, it's so expensive and so on. If you could sort of give the, the elevator pitch that people can replay in their brains, what is it that you would like uh, people to say to those who are feeling cornered into, you know, the, the Democrats obviously have wanted uh, socialized health care for 50 or 60 years, and their stated goal is to destroy the insurance market with Obamacare so that the insurance companies can be swept aside. What is it that you would like people to really have in their heads when they want to push back against these kinds of arguments? Well, of course, the source of every problem in health care in the United States is the government. Anything you want to discuss, whether it's high price, whether it is lack of access, um, any any part of that, rural health care issues and access, every bit of that is by design, has come from Washington, D.C. So the idea that we want to actually throw the solution to this problem to the very people who caused it seems illogical to me. That's a response uh, many times that I give people. The other, the other way to think about this is I'm not a utilitarian at all. And the idea that you know we need to do this because it works better oftentimes ignores what I would consider the moral uh, flavor of taking from one person their property and giving it to another. I oftentimes, oftentimes will use this this scene where. You know, you tell a family, cancel your vacation because this fellow across town, you don't know, is sick. And he needs all that money you were going to go spend on yourself and your kids at Disney World. So, you know, cancel your vacation. Somebody you don't even know is sick really, really kind of, I think, helps people understand. And, and there really is a difference between charity and theft. And we're called, I think, to be charitable toward our fellow man. And people typically are. Um, whenever somebody asks me that question, yes, but what about the poor? And I ask them, yeah, what poor person, what poor individual do you have in mind? Is there someone you would like to help? Um, because I know what my intentions are toward the poor. Why don't you tell me yours? But there is this uh, very easy trap where the folks on the on the big socialized medicine fan side they they want to consider the poor in the aggregate. 
And if we're going to consider the poor in an aggregate, then we ultimately wind up talking about a system. If we're talking about the poor in the aggregate, then we also need to talk about the virtues and the benefits of the free market in the advocate. That's the only apples-to-apples comparison. And when I think about the money that we have saved people here at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and the extent to which that could have been used to ameliorate the needs of the poor, that's an aggregate-to-aggregate conversation. But typically, when somebody says, what about the poor, I'll ask them, "What, what person do you have in mind that we can help? And they typically go running off because they they have no intention of getting their checkbook out. I think it was Rothbard said there's nothing easier than conspicuously spending other people's money on your favorite project. So that that is the way that's the nature of the conversation I typically have with someone. Um, We can talk about it doesn't work. How about the fact that Canadians are coming to Oklahoma City? I mean, what else do you need to say? Seriously. So that's the utilitarian side. But I reject it, I think, on a premise that's far upstream of that. And that's that it's it's simply wrong to consider that you you have the right and control to somebody else's property. And that's what it boils down to for me. Right. Yeah, no, I literally will get people on my show calling in and demanding how the poor would be educated in a free society. And to which my reply is, well, I'm handing out 7 million free lessons a month. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> Unless you're actually operating on a poor person for free while asking that question, I don't really, because just, you know, it's just a way of clogging up the works uh, and, and stopping anybody who wants to do anything really good with this imaginary sympathy for an imaginary group that these people aren't actually getting off their butts to help. So, so, um, I really want to make sure people get your vital statistics, uh, the website. And also remember, even if you can't make it to Oklahoma, you can, as you mentioned, take the Oklahoma price list, which is one of the few places that actually do put your uh, prices on the web. And you can shake it in people's face and say, you know, like you're going to buy a computer and you say, there's a cheaper computer across the street. So uh, let's get your information, your hours of operation, how long you've been around the website and so on. Make sure people can find you uh, to to get to you or to at least use your stuff as, as marketing leverage. Well, our, uh, our website is uh, surgerycenterok.com. Uh, we've been open uh, 19 years this coming May. We opened in 1997, and uh, your listeners might appreciate we have never taken a dime of government money and never will. Um, we're located in Oklahoma City, and one of, my, one of my favorite statistics I just got this morning, and it's not really a statistic, it's a story. I had a surgeon come into my office and say he set a new record from the time the patient called to the time they were actually on our surgery schedule was 30 minutes. So it is a very... Efficient, very fast, it's directly. Um, and the other, the other thing I'd like to mention, Stefan, is there is an organization that I've started called the Free Market Medical Association. And the reason I started it is there are so many facilities and physicians in the United States that have desired to copy what we're doing. So if people will go to marketmedicine.org, there's a picture of a United States map, and there are dots all over it where there are facilities that operate very much like we do. So they may find some place that's closer to home that's not all the way to Oklahoma, for instance, if there are facilities in Virginia and California and New York and all over the country that are that are clamoring to and, and running to this model. So 
that's something else I would like to mention. We we don't want a franchise. We're, we're not trying to get rich. We want everybody to copy us. So there is a real change. And, and the free market can dominate healthcare like it does the few industries that are left that, that have embraced it. But that, that's I, uh, that's that's something we're checking out is that free market medical association website. Yeah. And we'll put links to all that below to make sure that people can find it. And I really strongly urge people have conversations about freedom within healthcare proactively, because generally the way that the system works uh, is that people are healthy, so they don't really care about it that much. And then when you get sick, you're too busy dealing with being sick to activate for change. And then when you're done, you're so relieved to have it in the rear view that you just want to get on with your life. So there's never a sweet spot where you're really motivated and effective in working for greater freedom in healthcare. So you, I think you have to kind of grit your teeth, confront people, talk about these difficult issues, uh, because waiting until if, if circumstances kind of dictate the need for you is almost always waiting too late. It's like It's like criminal reform, you know, like if you're not arrested, you don't care. And if you are arrested, you're too busy fighting the system. And afterwards, you're too relieved to have it in the rear view to, to circle back and do it. So I really strongly urge people uh, to, to really have these conversations with people about healthcare, because it is such an essential issue. You know, I, I lived my whole life. I'd never been in hospital, never broken a bone, perfect health my whole life. And then boom, out of nowhere, you know, uh, Satan touches my neck and <laughs> off I go on this wild adventure. <laughs> and now that it's in the rear view, of course, my urge is to just never go back there again. But um, uh, it is really essential that we talk about these things because, uh, more so than just about any other issue other than direct incarceration. It is a life and death issue uh, for millions of people uh, in America and around the world. So strongly urge people. I wanted to give you guys one last compliment uh, other than thanks for not feeding Canadian worms with my body. But um, uh, when I came <laughs> back, when I came back, my doctor was like, wow, where did you get that done? And I, I told the story and she was like, holy, that's great. How did they do that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. How funny. So, so, yes, if you have a problem, if you stub your toe, uh, if you have something in your eye, <laughs> call the Oklahoma <laughs> uh, Surgery Center. These are the guys to talk to. And uh, I just I can't thank you enough. My family thanks you enough. My listeners thank you uh, a lot for the fantastic work. I mean, I, you know, we paid. It was an economic relationship. But I just wanted to continually express my appreciation to you, what you've done, the stand you've taken, your staff, your facilities, everything that happened there was fantastic. And the outcome has been, you know, cancer-free for years, uh, no signs of any, any problems. And uh, I, I just, from the bottom of my heart, thank you uh, so much for all of the fantastic stuff you've done uh, for me and for the world as a whole. Well, it's... It is certainly our pleasure and honor to have participated in your care, and I'm thrilled that thrilled that you've done so well. All right. Thanks, Emil, and we'll talk again. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.